Have you ever been thinking that there's something in your life that you're super passionate about, but how do you make a difference in it? Well, this episode is for you if you feel like you want to create a movement. You're listening to the Dynamic Women podcast. Each week, you'll be inspired by our global community of women. They'll share with you tools and stories to help you be dynamic in every area of life. He's your host, award-winning coach, and the CEO and founder of Dynamic Women, Diane Ralston. Hello, lovely Dynamic Women, and welcome to the Dynamic Women podcast. I'm Diane Ralston, your host, and today we have the millennial women's movement leader and author, Lila Rose. Welcome, Lila. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's so great to have you here. You know, I I read about you and what you've done. And I just thought, okay, I've got to bring her on so that my my listeners, my viewers can really hear your powerful and inspirational story. So why don't we kick it off? You share a little bit more about you, your background and kind of what you got you to where we are today. Sure, I'd love to. So I am a mom, first of all, <laughs> I've got we've got one on the way and an 18 month old. My professional work is I'm the president and founder of Live Action. So this is a not for profit that now has a global reach. And I started it as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And I just wrote my first book, Fighting for Life, which is a lot of it the story for anybody for how if you see something you're passionate about that captures your heart or attention, how you can make a difference. And for me, I, that this happened to me as a young girl, I from San Jose, California, one of eight kids. So lots of um, younger brothers and sisters. And I grew up just seeing babies in life as precious and motherhood as some really precious thing. Mm. So finding out about the crisis of abortion and the harm to children and women was what impassioned me to start live action. And then since then, I've just traveled the world and investigative reporting, um, spoken before members of the European Union, the United Nations, um, done lots of controversial media. I mean, it's been a, a wild ride, but it's been really powerful for me to see the impact of, you know, putting yourself out there and standing up for what you believe in, even when it's hard. And that's what I want to encourage every single woman listening. If you see something you're passionate about that you think is wrong in the world, or you want to set right, um, that cause needs you and you can make a tremendous difference. Mm, wow. There's so many different directions I can go with what you just <laughs> said, um, but listeners, I want you to think right now, what is a cause that you see in the world that you wish you could make a difference in? Because really you have no excuse because Lila was 15 and there's so <laughs> many other things that we're going to uncover here, but I really want you to be inspired by her story and see some really strategies and tools that you can use. So Lila, like you were 15 when you started. Started this like pro-life and abortion, like being something to go against. That's a huge thing at 15. So how did you overcome your, your fears of inadequacy mm-hmm. at that age to start a, a nonprofit? Well, I think first of all, for me, and I think this is true for many people, it was first just being very convicted and really brokenhearted over the problem. Mm-hmm that gave me the impetus to want to do something, even though I felt inadequate. Like you say, I definitely felt inadequate and and I still do. I know I can't solve all the world's problems myself. I just know that I'm called to make a difference today with what I have. And so there were two things that helped me starting out. First of all, feeling just heartbroken. I mean, the abortion rate at the time was 3000 abortions a day in America alone. Um, the, 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 the pain that is not for just the children, but women, 
how devastating it is for families and just how how heartbreaking it is and the injustice of it all. So there was that. And then there was also, I, I just had this strong sense that people are good. You know, people want to do the right thing. People don't want to, you know, people don't grow up saying, I want to have an abortion one day, or people don't grow up saying, I want to, I want to have a bad life. You know, everybody wants to have a good life and their life to be meaningful. Mm. And so I felt very strongly at a young age because this had happened to me that if people are educated, if they're given the chance to see facts about the issue, this issue of abortion, then people would change on it. The people could become pro-life, people could choose life, there would be a lot more healing and, you know, the world would be a much better place. And so that's what gave me, even though I knew, you know, when I was just starting live action, I didn't have some like master strategy. I didn't anticipate live action would be a global organization, or we, you know, have, you know, tens of millions of dollars in the future, we would get to that place. I just started with, okay, what's one thing I can do today? And I think that's key for anybody who sees a big problem, they want to get involved, they feel inadequate, and start with that question, what is one thing I can do today? And for me as a teenager, it was learning, educating myself. And then it became finding out, you know, experimenting with ways to educate other people, my age, my peers. So that was a really simple start to live action. And I, you know, I could talk through like how that evolved, but there will be an evolution process for you too, for women listening, if we're willing to take the first step. I think the first step can be the hardest because we sometimes almost set ourselves up for failure because we think, oh, we have to already have arrived. Like, you know, how could I start working on this problem or start fighting for this cause because I, you know, I don't have big connections or big money or, you know, a degree or any of these things. It's like, you just have to do one thing today. That's all your homework is, you know, you can keep it really simple and be amazed how one thing each day for days on end, how that can change your life and impact the lives of others. Yeah. Because a lot of people do think, well, I don't have any investors. I, I don't have any maybe strong connections. And like you said, like there's no budget, no degree, you're young. And it's not like you're choosing something that everyone in the world already believes in. It is a cause where you could face some opposition. So how did you grow as a leader in order to kind of keep pace and pivot the, the nonprofit and shape it and grow it to what it is today? So the growing process involved a lot of different steps and it was messy. So I'm going to first start by saying growing is messy <laughs> and it involves mistakes and risks. And when we take risks, like you pick up the phone call and you call somebody, you ask somebody for help, you try something new that you're not sure how it's going to work out. Those are opportunities to learn. You can also fail, but nothing is a failure if you've learned from it and you get smarter for the next choice that you make, right? So for me, it was really um, knocking on doors and calling people for first of all, getting connections, like how are there other people working on this issue I can partner with, like looking for other people. I finally found this one person that worked for an organization several hours south of San Jose by car. And so I got connected with them and started getting some resources for even how they did things, even though I, you know, was again, not like a financial arrangement, it was just they were telling me, oh, this is how we educate young people in Fresno, California, right? But I think one key that I learned along with taking risks and being willing to make mistakes is asking for help and finding mentors or guides. And so I think that's really key. If you are passionate about something, yeah. 
you know, start educating yourself, start trying to do that one thing each day. But maybe that one thing is calling other people who might have any kind of knowledge in that issue or are already making a difference in that issue. Um, even if it's a cold call and I made a lot of cold calls as a teenager and I still make cold calls to this day, you know, I still ask for, you know, I see a leader out there that I know I can learn from and I'm like, I want to try to get in touch with them. It, 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 in some ways it gets easier as you get more established, but it's also, you know, a little more daunting in a way because they, you think, well, I should already know how to do this. Why am I asking, you know, calling and asking this other person who's busy, but the key is to ask for the help and seek out people that can give you what they've learned, you know, they can, even if they're, it's not a perfect arrangement, they're not talking to you every single week, being willing to make that call. And I think that's also yeah. essential to grow as a leader is finding other leaders and learning from them. So true, because then you can save the time and, mm-hmm. and really glean from their wisdom. But what do you say to get them to be your mentor? <laughs> because that's, that's a question that I get often asked. Yeah. Uh, and I've also been approached many times in the wrong way to have people mm-hmm. ask if you'll be their mentor. So How have you, what do you like, what tips can you give on how to make that arrangement happen? That's a great question. So first of all, I'm going to say it's better to ask than to not, even if you ask imperfectly. So kudos to you. If you ask, Mm -hmm. even if you get turned down, because at least you tried and by getting turned down, you're going to get smarter and maybe change your approach if you keep getting turned down. But I would say a couple of things. First of all, humility, 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 always the posture of, you know, keep in mind, you're asking someone for their time. They're doing you a favor you have something to learn from them. And so having the posture of, you know, making yourself available, you being the flexible one, you know, being extremely grateful and thankful for their time, that posture is the posture of a student. And if you truly want a mentor or a guide or someone to help you or teach you, if you don't have the posture of a student, they will notice that they probably won't want to teach you, you know? So I think having a student posture and what do students, what are students like? Good students are very humble. Good students are, you know, on time. They're very careful with how they communicate because they want to communicate clearly. Good students do their homework, right? They try to research the topic, research the person they're reaching out to. And I would finally say, when you're making an ask to somebody to learn from them, you don't have to make it some marriage ask. Like, will you be my, (laughs) will you be my lifelong mentor and talk to me every week for the rest of my life? I mean, it's extremely rare. Anyone will say yes to that. It can be as simple as, would you be available for, you know, a 30 minute phone call or a 20 minute call? I would love your advice on some things. I admire you for X, Y, Z reasons. And I, you know, I believe that, you know, I, I, I have so much to learn from you. I've already learned from you in these areas, you know, maybe you've read their books or something, but I just want to say one more thing. It's not finding some famous person and asking them to be your mentor necessarily. It could be someone, you know, in your church or your school community it could be someone like, you know, a friend of your aunt or uncle that you've heard of. It doesn't have to be somebody yeah. with some like established brand. It can just be someone that you see making a difference in the space you're interested in or making a difference in a related space. And you want to ask their thoughts on how they got to the place that they've got. So I also want to clarify, you know, don't just go for some like very maybe famous person with a big brand. I mean, just find someone in your community that is involved in the work already. And maybe they're very, you know, a humble person themselves. They're just, you know, if you're interested in foster care, maybe they're just someone in the foster care system who's already doing fostering and you just call them up and say, Hey, I'd love to get, pick your brain about it. So it doesn't have to be some fancy ask. It should just be a humble, eager ask and, you know, do some research and find out who else is involved and who else is you know, working on this cause or this issue. Yeah. And they're probably equally as excited and passionate about the topic and are happy 
to be really filling your cup and your mind in order to have you propel forward for mm-hmm. the cause that you m- mutually care about. But I guess the first step is just to figure out what do you need to know mm-hmm. or what skills do you want to gain in order to be able to move your cause forward. So how have you changed as a leader or as a woman in your growth from that 15 year old to the mom you are today? How have you changed over that time or what skills did you need to have in order to evolve yourself? Mm -hmm. So one huge one is self-knowledge, understanding, like you just mentioned, your own gifts or talents or your skills. And obviously skills are something that you grow in, but understanding your natural affinities, you know, some people more naturally shy or outgoing, they're better at writing, you know, verbal communication or written communication. So I think taking inventory of your own giftings and taking inventory of your own fears and insecurities, as well as your own dreams and passions is key to growth. Um, Then you can look, and again, a mentor really helps with this, you know, a spiritual guide or a mentor, somebody who can kind of accompany you, but you can do it yourself with your journal as well. And I think taking inventory and then over time tracking, okay, this is one thing I want to work on. I remember when I got to college at UCLA and I was really, you know, passionate. I was trying to further my cause. I was trying to be a student and I was just wrestling with time management. I mean, how do we do all these things? And then I also was battling my own insecurities and I had Mm. um, issues from my childhood that were, were, you know, weighing on me. And that's something I talk a lot about in my book, because I think that's all part and parcel of leadership. It's like, it's complex. You know, how you lead is also how you were affected as a child. And if you're not aware of that, it can be a negative thing, depending on what experiences you had. So anyways, I ended up finding um, a mentor and with her help, I made a plan every week to work on one habit. And for me, the habit that I most needed to work on at the time was setting time aside really for that journaling exercise, you know, cause I was busy. I was just doing stuff yes. where I took inventory of myself, my feelings, my emotions, cause my emotions would go up and down. And I had all these like, you know, intense feelings and wrestling with stuff. And I just took inventory of where I was at and I did it, you know, I'm a Christian. So I did it with God, you know, cause I believe yeah. he loves me and has a plan for me. And I would really have a conversation with God for 30 minutes and a conversation yeah. with myself about this is what I need to work on. And then I would track, you know, okay, I want to make sure I'm doing this for 30 minutes a day. That exercise in and of itself made a world of difference for me as a leader and made me better at make decisions. It made me um, more modulate my emotions and my reactions to things. Um, It made me think of new ideas that I hadn't thought of before. So again, it can be something that simple. That's a tool that you practice, but having some a mentor involved in my life helped with that. And then having self-knowledge and growing in self-knowledge made that possible too. Mm, Yeah. Such a good tip for our listeners. I hope people do have that time to, to bring in their spiritual life and have that guiding force as well as bringing in journaling, because both of those in connection are super powerful. Now you come across as a very modest woman, but I will totally (laughs) share with our listeners that you were one of 25 most influential Washington women under 35. You have, as you mentioned, addressed members of the European Parliament and the United Nations commissions and focusing on the status of women. And you are quickly becoming one of the most inspiring, compelling and influential female leaders of the emerging generation. So that's kind of big shoes that you've created for yourself mm-hmm. here. <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm curious, how was it when you were kind of granted the opportunity to go and speak to these mm-hmm. different areas with 
with very influential people who have the ability to make laws and remake laws. How is that experience? Like, I'm, just talk us through how that was maybe the day you found out that you were going to speak th- those places and, and how <laughs> was it just before you spoke? That's a great question. So I had been doing investigative reporting and growing live action as a college student. So I mentioned being really busy and, you know, making that time for my prayer and meditation as a part of being able to manage all the craziness. And so through that, there was just one thing led to the next where I found myself communicating with members of Congress, the U.S. Congress. And then I found myself giving briefings at the U.S. Conference. And then I found myself giving press conferences because I was introducing new information that hadn't been seen before about this issue into the public conversation. And I was practicing every day. I was doing media on this. I was giving speeches around the country. I spoke in, I think I've spoken in nearly all 50 states. And so because I was doing that consistently, you know, every day doing something towards that end, and it was just growing on itself, it was building, there was a natural momentum to it. So people in the NGO space, other nonprofits who were involved in presentations at the United Nations and at the European Union saw my work and they said, we want you to present on your work now globally. So it was really, it wasn't that I set out and I said as a teenager or college student, I want to go speak at the European Union. It was instead that I thought I want everybody in the world to know this information that can mean life or death. And that's, and I'm going to do everything I can to get that information out there. And then because I did my best to do a good job with presenting that information and find, you know, creative ways to collect it and, and, you know, give it out as an investigative reporter that caught the attention of others who wanted that information and wanted to share it with their constituents. So that's the, so the feeling I had when I got those opportunities was it's working, you know, the information's getting out there that I've been working so hard to collect and to distribute. And I had already done, I had practiced the muscle of speaking, public speaking. I'd already done these press conferences. So it wasn't as scary as if I had gone from one to a hundred. And I think this is a really important point because I think women listening, you might see, it's so easy to see the highlight reel of this is like the resume of where this leader has ended up right now. And remember that whatever you see on that resume, like if I spoke at four members of the European Union or whatever, whatever it might be, there were a thousand activities before that that maybe didn't sound as exciting or interesting that just evolved because the person kept working at it and kept doing their best with what they had that day. And so, you know, I'm not saying you're not going to get there yourself. If you're listening, you're like, Hey, I want to, I want to do something like that. I want to take my cause before these huge, you know, international bodies. Awesome. You can do that. I think you do have the power to do that, but it starts with, you know, taking that one, you know, that one step each day and what are you offering a value? What are you bringing that's new to the table, the information that people need to know? Are you distributing it and sharing it in a very professional way? Um, are you reliable? Are you being, you know, your high integrity person, all of those little things make up what will look like the big success down the line. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Great advice. And it's true. People don't see what goes the blood, sweat and tears that go on. On all the years before you have those moments that are impactful, but they are just training and practice for those days that you do get to have, and especially have a global impact. It's so important. Now you mentioned quite a bit about investigative reporting Mm -hmm. and, you know, I encourage everyone to go to the live action website and look at the different pages and look at the videos and look at the material that's there. And one of the ones I just wanted to bring up, and maybe this is what you're talking about. Some of this information that you brought forward was about how people are using abortion as a way of covering up sexual abuse Mm -hmm. and sex trafficking. And that for me, that was like, whoa, yes, that's horrific and horrible. 
horrible. And I just, my heart goes out to these girls. Is this the kind of information that you're talking about with investigative reporting? And that is this the kind of information you're bringing forward? Yes, exactly. I mean, I've done probably, we've done probably 10 different major investigative reports in the last decade, the cover-up of sexual abuse and abortion clinics, medical misinformation told to women, you know, the promotion of sex selection abortion in abortion clinics. So they're, you know, encouraging women, they can get an abortion on a late-term baby that just for the sake, because it's a boy or a girl, they don't want the boy or the girl. And, you know, really shocking stuff. I think the sexual abuse cover-up has been particularly painful because we've documented it so much. I think now 17 different clinics. And this is something that there have been court cases, nearly a dozen court cases of girls who've sued Planned Parenthood and other abortion clinics because of the abuse cover-up they endured there. So instead of getting connection to child protective services or to support, they were just given a secret abortion and then sent back to their abuser. So yeah, getting out this information on an issue that was controversial. So people didn't usually touch it, right? It was harder for most media groups to want to report on these things because it was so politicized in their book. So they just, they would prefer to give it a pass and not want to even talk about it. And so there was this whole world of investigative reporting that wasn't happening, that needed to happen. And so when I started to dive into it, I just found so much to report on. And those findings ended up being uh, very impactful in public policy decisions, both domestically and internationally. Wow. Wow. So listeners, like no matter what side you're on and no matter your views, I really encourage you to just go check out the videos and the information that's on there to really be able to be fully educated because the there's some things on there that that I never even thought about. I never even thought about that being an issue. Um, but it's also because I've been so blessed to be part of a have really good parents and a really good life. And that thank God that I haven't been in, haven't been in a situation like that. Cause we think we view it in only one light. We don't see mm-hmm. all the things that can yeah. happen. Well, and I think that's the danger when an issue seems controversial to just shy away from it and not think about it. And that only will hurt people more. And, you know, with the issue of abortion, keep in mind, according to the um, CDC, um, our governmental agency that tracks, you know, abuse statistics and death and life statistics um, in the US, one fourth of all women approximately report being sexually abused, most of them as children. So what happens to young, especially preteens and teenage girls when they're sexually abused, many of them report a forced abortion in their life. And I, you know, I just interviewed a, an abortion survivor and a, a, an incest survivor, and she was taken by her father, her abuser to a Planned Parenthood, given a secret abortion, um, sent right back into the arms of abuse. So when we just ignore like an issue, a controversial issue like abortion, we are also ignoring not just the victims of abortion children, but women who are victimized. Yep. So I appreciate you, you know, wading into encouraging people to explore this more because it's easier to just you know, not pretend like the issue doesn't exist, you know, talk about things that are less, you know, easier dinner table conversation. But let me tell you, if you want to, if you really want to change the world and make it better, it's going to require getting your hands messy, getting your life kind of complicated by these controversies and these, some of these dynamics where there are people on, you know, two different sides. I wish it wasn't that way, but that's, you know, how it is with many of these issues. But if you're fighting for good, something good, something true, something just, then that, that that will be your guide. You know, that'll be your guide, even if you get pushback or people misunderstand you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, I do want to touch on the book. But before we go there, I want to stay with with live action and the fact that you have have had and for business owners are going to freak out with this information over 1.3 billion lifetime video views, more than 5 million followers on social media, 
and a weekly reach of 14 to 18 million people. Wow, that's huge. And if you really think about it being super black and white, and maybe only half the population would would want to follow this, that's a massive number. That's huge. You guys are doing such great work. So how have you been able to reach so many people with your movement? It's a good question. I think a couple core practices that have helped us build that is number one, having something um, helpful to say. So new information, and that's investigative reporting. You know, we actually went and got original reporting on an issue that people did care about, although it was very controversial. And then consistency. You know, I didn't just do one and done. It's like, oh, I did an investigation when I was, you know, 21. And then I moved on to the next thing and got interested in something else. We've been relentlessly pursuing exposing the truth on this issue for now 15 years. And so and then we consistently do it on social media. And that builds the platform, right? And I think anybody listening who knows social media, you have to be consistent. And so we consistently report daily. And we're not just exposing brutal truths. We're also encouraging positive responses. Like, you know, how can people make a difference? How can we help women? How can we help children? So that combination of exposing the truth and all of its, you know, injustice while also recommending a positive action, giving, empowering people to actually do something good on this issue um, has been a really winning combination. And then a final piece besides offering something new consistency, a final piece is excellent. So Hmm. when we first started, we were nowhere close to as excellent as we are today. (laughs) Um, It was very, you know, college starting like a college YouTube channel with this like rainy recording on it, you know, from investigative reporting was not very fancy. Um, So we started with what we had, but we always tried to level up. And I think that's also really important. You know, part of growing as a person and growing your business or your cause is always making it better the next day and finding ways to make it better. So we've always tried to make the messaging better, the research better, the writing better, the present, the video production better. And I think that's also attracted the audience. Yeah. And also it helped you to get actually started to know that it didn't have to be perfect and at that top level day one, because what you're able to do now is vastly different. So this is, I think, quite encouraging and a great reminder for people who are thinking, well, I can't do it at that level. So everyone has to start somewhere. So grab your phone and record a video. (laughs) And I think, I think content that exists is better that is is better than content that doesn't. (laughs) I mean, you can have content in your mind, but if it's not actually created and and connecting to people, it might as, you know, it it doesn't exist. So that, that, that being said, you still want to research, you still want to, you know, learn yourself. And, you know, we're all different degrees of perfectionist with our first piece of content. But don't be such a perfectionist with your first message, your first post, your first letter, your first report, your first, you know, program, whatever it is you're creating that you can't create it, that it never gets out. Give yourself a timeline. You know, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work for three months on this. And then even if baby's not perfect, baby's going to be born, you know, (laughs) and birthing is never a pretty process as, as we all know as women. I mean, it rarely is, but it's beautiful in the sense that you're adding something that you're passionate and that's that does add value to people. And it's not going to be your last shot. You're going to keep trying and keep trying to make it better. Yeah. And so you touched on being a mom and I'm going to come to that in a moment, (laughs) but I want to first go to your book, Fighting for Life. So what's kind of a general synopsis of what's this book about and and who should read it? So Fighting for Life is designed for anybody, primarily women, because I'm a woman. I think that connects 
that connection happens most immediately, but anybody who wants to make a difference in the world, but they're not sure how to start. And maybe you see a crisis or a human rights issue you're passionate about. Um, maybe it's some dream that you have of how you can serve people and make the world better and that you want to somehow you, you want to do, but you're not sure where to start. And yeah. so it's 27 lessons that I've learned in the last 15 plus years for how I grew live action as this little, you know, five person club in my parents' living room to now the global not-for-profit that it is. And all the lessons I learned along the way and the steps that I took. And so some of the things we're talking about in this interview is in there. There's a lot in there too about personal development, because I strongly believe that the change we want to make in the world has to happen in our own heart. And that's complex. I mean, that involves working through our childhoods, um, that involves our mental and our physical health and involves our spiritual lives. So I talk a lot about that in the book as well and share what I've learned too. And I hope that once someone dives into the book, they will have a lot of aha moments for how, oh, this is how I can make that next step, or this yeah. is how I can overcome this, this roadblock I keep facing to ultimately find yourself really just thriving in the cause that you believe in or the mission that you feel called to. Hmm. I love it. And it sounds like too, it would be, it would be bite size in that with each of these different lessons that you've learned, it would be really nice for someone to be able to just consume, digest that one lesson, maybe apply it to life and then move on to the next one. And so it sounds like a, a nice little mentorship from you possibly. <laughs> I, uh, it's designed for that. And there's actually a study guide uh, that you can get for free oh, if cool. you purchase on Amazon or wherever you get your books and then you email live action. So that's info at liveaction.org or any really address you find on the live action website and just say, Hey, I'd love the study guide. We will send that to you as well. And that's a helpful way to take each lesson as a bite-sized chunk. Yeah, that's so good. Now being a leader and you've already kind of alluded to this, isn't about showing your perfection right now. And I know that in your book, you talk about your battle with depression and self-harm and your sister's suicide attempt and unplanned pregnancy. And so why did you include all this information in the book? Like that's pretty personal, especially when it's, you know, meant to help world changers and help activists. Why include your personal story and so much personal stories? Well, first I'll say whether you're a leader of a big corporation or a small business, or you're an educator, whatever your profession or your work is, you cannot successfully... I believe you cannot successfully separate your personal life from your professional work. Mm. You, what is happening in your personal life, if you're not thriving in your personal life, it will not, you will not thrive the way I think you can in your professional work. We're holistic people. You know, we, you know, we might try to compartmentalize, but our bodies and our hearts, our minds are still integrated and they will still sabotage each other if they're not all thriving together. And mm -hmm. so I shared a lot of the struggles I've been through and things that were, you know, dynamics with relationships that were really close to me, because I feel very strongly that if we're going to have a manual, if I'm going to write a manual for how to be an activist or a world changer, I'm not just going to give you business tips. I'm going to share some of the hard one lessons I've learned and am learning about how to be healthy myself, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And so that maybe get personal, you know, I shared about dealing with self-harm and my own body image, disordered eating, and because I know, first of all, other people are out there struggling, you know, with different variations of this. And I don't like the taboo around it that we often have because we feel shame. I think the shame prevents us from healing. Um, and we need each other. We need each other's mm -hmm. stories. We need each other's rawness so that we can connect to each other and we can 
and learn, you know, lessons for how we can ourselves grow and heal. So the, the, the point of sharing it all was there is healing, you know, there is happy endings. It takes vulnerability um, and it takes self-knowledge to say, I'm struggling here and, and a willingness to go and get help. But there is, there is healing. There is a way to thrive despite what we're going through. Uh, we just have to be willing to step into it and, and do that work. Yeah. I love that you do that. I find that when I share with my clients, my struggles, or I share how business was in the beginning and what things looked like, the mistakes I made. I can remember one day when a woman was like that, that, and that she's pointing at the screen and I was like, what are you doing? And she says, that gives me hope. Mm. And I said, why? And she goes, because I looked at how you were as a speaker before. <laughs> and I think <laughs> if you came from that to where you are today, that gives me hope that mm. I can do the same. And so I also have shared about how I'd postpartum depression and my father passed away in August. I talk about the grief journey that I'm on. And I think not enough powerful leaders, impactful leaders share the truth of who they are, which makes it seem impossible to even get close to what they've accomplished. So mm -hmm. thank you for doing that in your book. I'm really ex excited to dive into it. In the show notes, we'll make sure that live actions links are in there, that the link to the book is in there. So any of our listeners, you can just easily go and get that. Uh, but let's kind of finish it off here with your biggest lessons as a mom. So you have an 18 month old little guy and you got a baby in the oven right now. And so what have you learned as a new mother? So I'm used to going a million miles a minute, <laughs> even with all my self-care routines I've tried to develop over the years, my meditation yeah. schedules. And I have learned, first of all, your time is not your own when you're a mom, because you want to, your life is about making this other person's life beautiful. That's a big part of your life. And that's a beautiful part of my life. And I'm grateful for it, but it means it changes my life dramatically. And to not, number one, to not be ashamed of that. I think professionally as women, we have this like armor on that we have to just be the same in the workplace after kids. And some workplaces, unfortunately, are not accommodating and that's on them. You know, that's really a, a sad part of our culture. That I think needs to change, but we can at least not make excuses for being mothers, meaning don't yeah. be ashamed that you might have to leave early to your son has a medical you know, problem. You need to take him to the doctor or you're offline certain times because you're doing your bedtime routine or the morning routine. Yes. And so thankfully I have a workplace that's very pro-child, <laughs> believe it or not, we are working so much on children, but I would just say the lesson I've learned is even in that workplace as pro-child to not pretend like I can do it all, but to really make sure I'm taking time to be present with my son. And it takes a mindset shift because I'm used to just saying yes and diving in and stretching myself. I enjoy that fast pace, but this is a, a child that looks to me, I'm his only mother he'll ever have. <laughs> And I find so much joy and meaning in, in being his mother and I want to help raise him well. So saying no to certain opportunities, delegating them to other people on my team. That's the beauty of having a team. You can actually give opportunities to other women and other men and taking that time to make sure I have consistent quality time with my son. So the lesson is a new kind of dance as a leader and one that doesn't apologize for my motherhood and that values the simple, the simple things of putting my son to bed, getting up with him in the morning morning, being there for him when he needs me. Wow. We could do a whole nother podcast episode just on that topic. I see this in, in leaders and business owners and in women all over that life balance and being a mom and being driven as well. It's not always easy, but it sounds like you've made the 
perfect decision for you. I love how you, you talk. It's, about it. It's a work in progress. I'm, and I'm with our second child. I'm sure I'll have to readjust again, yep. but my core thing is what are my values? My value is he has one childhood. I'm his only mother. My first responsibility is him. I still am extremely passionate about my mission and my professional work, and I will do my very best there but it does take second place. And that's a conscious decision that I've made. And so it affects my, how I schedule my time and to not be ashamed of that either to my work or to others. And just say, I'm very proud of being a mom and I'm grateful for that opportunity. It's something I've, I've, I'm blessed with. So having that mindset, I think is key because we can just beat ourselves up so much as moms (laughs) and, you know, there can be so much um, negativity around it when really it is, I believe the most important job. Amazing. Awesome. Well, this has been such a great interview with you, Lila. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing with our listeners. Uh, Any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Just to encourage everyone listening, if you feel passionate about a cause or you're concerned about an issue, to let yourself explore that and follow your heart where that takes you because that might be a key to the mission you're called to. And then once you discern, you know, what is a way I can make the world better? What's something I feel I could do to contribute to the world? Don't sell yourself short. You're you're born at this particular time for a reason and God has beautiful things to do with your life for others. Love it. Love it. Thank you. So listeners, go check out Live Action, the website, Lila's organization. Please also go and pick up a copy of her book, Fighting for Life. It's got those 27 lessons. Is that right, Lila? 27, 27 lessons. 27 lessons. Mm-hmm. So, and they will help all of you. So this is how I interview women every other week on the Dynamic Women episodes that we have. I really encourage you, if you have a woman that you feel has a successful story, successful life, or just like we need to hear from her, like Lila Rose here, please let me know about them. Hit subscribe, share with someone you care about. And until next time, stay dynamic. Bye. Thank you, Dynamic Women, for joining us today. Please hop on over to iTunes to subscribe and leave us a review. Who do you know who needs to hear our message? We'd love it if you'd share our channel with your friends and family. If you're ready to be more dynamic, have more balance and more success, head over to www.dynamicwomenclub.com forward slash free gift for your key to success book. Stay dynamic.